Good afternoon. It's Friday the 8th of July 2022, just after one o'clock. Welcome to UK Column News. Your host today, Mike Robinson, myself, Brian Gerrish. We're delighted to be joined by Vanessa Beely and Mark Anderson from the US of A and uh, our own nursing correspondent, Debbie Evans. Uh, well, we'll get straight on just mentioning the assassination this morning of uh, Shinzo Abe, the former uh, Japanese prime minister. Uh, well, apparently it was a Navy guy, an ex, uh, a veteran of the uh, Japanese Navy that uh, has carried this out. Uh, he was, there was very strict gun control in uh, in Japan at the moment. So this was apparently a homemade weapon of some kind with two barrels. Um, and uh, well, the police did catch uh, the person involved. So um, not much more to say on it at this point. Uh, the This tweet here saying that former Prime Minister Shinzo Abe was uh, injured in an apparent gun attack. Uh, but of course, that he subsequently passed away uh, because he'd been shot in the chest. Uh, and really, it was pretty unsurvivable, it seems. Yeah. And what caused this, we don't know. But of course, we've got another rise in, it would appear, in shootings around the world, which inflame the whole system. So we will see if we can find out some more information on that particular event. Uh, but let's uh, welcome Vanessa Billy to the programme. Uh, Vanessa, um, we're going to look at, uh, well, accusations of the Russians using a particular type of weapon in Syria against civilians? Yeah. Um, why is this important? Because uh, as I run through the report, it will become clear why it's important. Many people kind of consider the white helmets to be uh, effectively dead and buried as a construct. Um, but I think what we'll do today is demonstrate that it isn't. And that's why we can we continue um, to expose this organization. Um, so we're beginning with uh, a little piece of video from them. Yeah, um, this video was put out in May in collaboration with a report that they produced. Um, so May this year, making the claim that uh, Russian uh, Krasnopol missiles are being uh, used, guided missiles. Now, note the use of the word missiles, not in this particular meme but if we go to the video i just want people to view this in the sense that this is supposed to be a professional military report that is going to be presented to bodies like the un or the uk foreign office uh, the united states department the eu governments that are funding the white helmets to demonstrate that the that the russians are using these long-range guided missiles, as is uh, cited in many of the tweets and accompanying reports, um, against civilians. And of course, this is, this is the main claim. There is no mention of um, the occupation of, of various hospitals, schools, um, and other civilian infrastructures and buildings and residential areas by armed groups. So if we can just watch the video. <laughs> The footage captured here shows the lethal and destructive capacity of a new kind of weapon never before seen in the past decade 
ان شاء الله ان شاء الله كله طيب بس هدول صلوا لنا على النبي خلونا بس laser guided russian made artillery shells in 2021 the white helmet's serious civil defense witnessed a new trend in attacks on civilians in northwest syria attacks that came from laser guided projectiles characterized by their high accuracy and great destructive power this missile is deadly while only 4% of the attacks documented used crossnopole missiles it resulted in one-fifth of all civilian deaths caused by military attacks in 2021. The first attack documented was on the hospital in the city of Atarib, west of Aleppo. The Syrian civil defense issued a report on the Krasnopol attacks. The report documented 63 attacks using this type of projectile. Krasnopol has resulted in the deaths of 70 people, including 29 children. More than 100 others were wounded, including 23 children. Among the victims were two volunteers of the White Helmets. The report is based on a number of sources. The primary source is our team's documentation and incident report, in addition to witness testimonies, including volunteers who were responders, witnesses, and victims to the Krasnopole. The Russian-made Krasnopole projectile is considered very dangerous because... Okay, so first comments, and I'd appreciate comments from uh, Mike and Brian on this, but first comment, uh, why would you put a GoPro camera on a victim's head, one? Um, two, this is shown like a Hollywood movie, the heartbeat um, soundtrack, uh, the dramatic music, the clips of action. I mean, there is no actual verification. They claim numbers of children, numbers of civilians. There are no names of those children or civilians that I can find anywhere in their reports, which is extraordinary. Um, the fact that they are claiming that Russia is using these long-range uh, artillery shells, actually, again, the, the wordage is very confusing. If you say missile, it tends to imply that Russia is targeting from the air. These are actually artillery rounds. Um, I spoke to Brian Berletic, a former US Marine on this. He said they're basically a base bleed artillery weapon system. It's longer range, but he said it's very expensive. It's unlikely that Russia is going to be using this in everyday warfare. And plus the fact the majority of artillery attacks against terrorist uh, installations and Idlib are actually carried out by the Syrian Arab army. The airstrikes are carried out by Syrian Air Force and Russian Air Force, but Russia rarely gets involved, to, in my experience, in the actual artillery attacks. Um, so effectively, this shell expels gas as it flies to reduce the drag and to increase range, but it's not uh, officially a missile as such. So again, this language that they're using demonstrates both their ignorance and that comes on to the point, who is reporting this, that they're using this Krasnopol missile? The White Helmets on the ground. What training do the White Helmets on the ground have in military armaments, in weapons? Um, and the only photos that you see of this Krasnopol missile, I think there's around two photos. And they could literally be anywhere. There's no coordinates. There's no context. They claim that they hit the Al-Atarab uh, hospital in, I think it was May 2021. This was an underground, another underground hospital. In every area that's been liberated, what have I seen? I've seen that the so-called underground hospitals, 
are in reality terrorist military headquarters. So this is a legitimate target. The entire area was reinforced and screened against attack. That's not a hospital. That's a military um, headquarters and, and ammunition store, potentially. Um, so, you know, I, I think it's highly questionable so far and will continue. <laughs> yeah, thoughts? Uh, well, I've got, I got a number of thoughts, but first a question, uh, Vanessa, when, when, did this, um, when did this film clip come out? I take it, it it appeared fairly recently. Yeah, this came out um, a couple of months ago in May 2022. The report started in around May 2021, the first report being from Syrian American Medical Society about the alleged targeting of the Al Atareb hospital in Idlib by this... Uh missile right okay sorry shell i've just said yeah. it okay well my my immediate comment is that uh yeah there's a lot of terms being um used there but the base bleed technology to enable an ordinary artillery round to go further is quite old technology all it does yeah. is extends the flight of a normal shell exactly but then yeah. we've got mention of laser guided where we're talking about effectively steerable shells that is another level of technology. But what my mind is saying to me, it's really interesting, this has come out in the middle of the Ukraine war, because of course, yep. in Ukraine, what are the Ukrainian forces doing? They're hiding amongst civilians. They are using schools. Uh, they've even used medical facilities as bases. And what are the Russians to do if they're going to try and hit those uh, those bases, they're going to use what they regard as accurate munitions so that you're not causing collateral damage. So it seems to me that this, um, this Syrian return to Syria, I shall call it, has been produced because it can then be used as a double-edged um, double sword against Russian military tactics in Ukraine. But this is spinning the truth because both in Syria and in Ukraine, forces are hiding amongst the civilian population and um, the only way you can deal with that is to use accurate munitions to target them. Uh, the other interesting thing Brian and, and you might uh, concur or disagree with this when I spoke to Brian he said but these missiles actually need someone on the ground as a spotter to guide the missile in or a drone um, as a guidance mechanism so that's also quite interesting because if they are being guided in, who's guiding them in on the ground in Syria for one? Interesting also that you made the correlation with Ukraine, and I'll show that again later on. Um, but the DFR lab, of course, funded by NATO in 2019, produced a report claiming that the Donbass, Donetsk and Lugansk um, popular fronts were using these weapons supplied by Russia. So there's the correlation already. And of course, that um, accusation is ongoing now in Ukraine. Okay, well, look, let's, uh, let's move our way through some of these uh, mm -hmm. graphics that you've got here, Vanessa. So first yeah. of all, uh, in 2021, the White Helmets documented 63 attacks using this weapon, the first recorded use of the weapon in Syria, uh, 70 people killed and so on. So that's more or less what we've been talking about. Yeah. Uh, I mean, the, this is just propaganda. Yeah, exactly. The entire report is propaganda. The images within the report, I mean, this is the leading photograph is, of course, a white helmet being helped into the ambulance, having supposedly been targeted by a Krasnopol shell. Again, as I say, there's no context. 
There are no names of victims. There are no dates of the attacks. They, they put out these numbers without any context or auditing or transparency at all. This is another one of these random photos of the remnants of this shell. Um, again, there's very little identification of it. The, the photograph is up close, so you can't actually even see the area in which it's supposedly landed. I mean, it's, it's full of hot air, this report, and provides absolutely no verification whatsoever. Bearing in mind, this report will be used to garner more funding from the White Helmet donors. So again, this is just an explanation of the base bleed, but we've yes. kind of gone through that um, with Brian. Um, so moving on to the next slide. Yeah, so we've got Alexandra <laughs> Busky. Yeah, Alexandra Busky, who's the um, Advocacy and Communications Manager for the White Helmets, or as they call them, the Syria Civil Defense. That name, of course, was stolen from the real Syria Civil Defense that they supplanted in many areas in Syria, stealing equipment, murdering uh, team members and kidnapping others for, for ransom to use as hostages, etc. cetera. Um, now, uh, Alexandra Busky put out um, uh, a tweet about this report that we've been discussing. Um, we highlight the impact of a new trend in targeting civilians with laser-guided missiles in Syria. I put a question to her. Could you please uh, uh, point me to the actual, to the actual hard actual, evidence? Yeah, yes. Like, yeah. Um, and her response uh, in the next slide was basically to refer me. She didn't respond at all to the question. She, she merely reiterated that it comes from eyewitnesses. Well, effectively, that's open source information. So it's unverified. And those people are not experts in what they're looking at, right? Um, so she basically then refers me to a previous um, report by Physicians for Human Rights. Um, and I pointed out that, that SAMS and all of these various NGOs were effectively supporting the terrorist groups in Idlib and previously in other areas that the terrorists controlled in Syria. Now, one of the reasons that I believe that this report is also being um, raised again now is because, of course, the UN Security Council is currently um, discussing the vote to keep the so-called humanitarian border crossing open at Bab al-Hawa. Um, in reality, um, they were supposed to have the vote on Thursday. Um, there was too much um, um, disagreement for there to be a consensus. So the meeting is scheduled now for Friday, and I believe the vote for um, Saturday. Um, because Russia is effectively saying they don't want it kept open for longer than another six months. Babel Hauer is effectively Al-Qaeda's trading post. All of the so-called humanitarian aid, weapons, equipment, vehicles, etc., that enter Syria through Babel Hauer are seized by Al-Qaeda and are then either traded or sold to or given to civilians um, at extortionate rates in order to maintain revenue for Al-Qaeda. And Bab al-Hawar is always the meeting place for US and UK officials when they meet up with the White Helmets. So that suggests that the White Helmets, again, are working in full collaboration with Al-Qaeda. Now, Ismail al-Abdullah, who previously was a White Helmet embedded in East Aleppo and working very closely with the armed groups dominated by Al-Qaeda, um, is on his account, you'll notice there he's displaying a Ukrainian flag, as are the majority of the white helmets. He is also mentioning the fact that uh, if you move on to the yeah. next 
uh, uh, slide um, that uh, Russia and Syria have a history of targeting UN aid convoys and medical centers. Now, the medical centers we know to be white helmet centers. We know white helmets are working in collaboration with armed groups dominated by al-Qaeda, and they are carrying weapons, and they are committing um, war crimes inside Syria. Now, one thing that I wanted to point out, Alexandra Fusky, just to demonstrate her ignorance about Syria, she has, to my knowledge, never entered Syria, so she's never come in to actually um, take an alternative view on what's happening. And of course, remember, the White Helmets sell themselves as being neutral and impartial. And yet here you see her basically talking about a bombed out fire engine. She has accepted the White Helmet version of what happened. Um, so my response to her was um, that, yeah, it is jarring to see bombed out fire engines. I've seen many of them, the majority of them destroyed within real Syria civil defense centers by Nusra Front or Al-Qaeda, Al-Sham and other terrorist armed groups with whom the White Helmets are embedded. So as I said to her, why on earth do the White Helmets never mention the war crimes committed by the armed groups? That is their job, to document war crimes, and yet their documentation only focuses on alleged Syrian and Russian um, war crimes in Syria. Now, why does this tie into Ukraine? Uh, if you'll remember, fairly recently, Josh Rogan was commissioned to put out a report on the Syrian White Helmets um, are ready to help Ukraine. Initially, we know that that help um, involved the production of videos, the, the advice on, on how to carry out so-called paramedic duties um, in Ukraine. Now, one thing I will point out here, we know that the White Helmets are effectively um, a multi-pronged funding operation. Um, at, at another point, we'll get into the whole system of funding for the White Helmets. Um, but the, the, the majority of White Helmet funding recently has come from their alleged uh, PPE program during the COVID crisis, so their COVID response program. Uh, again, nobody has audited the so-called PPE factories that White Helmets have established. So, but as sorry, I said, sorry Vanessa, just let me, let me just interrupt you there for a second, because just let me yeah. understand this. They've been paid money <laughs> in order to manufacture yep. personal protective equipment against COVID-19. What qualifies them to manufacture that equipment? Nothing. Uh-huh. Nothing. Right. Absolutely nothing. And, the, you know, how they're going to establish factories to produce PPE. So presumably it has to be in a sterile environment in the middle of a war zone in Idlib, surrounded by terrorists and refugees and being bombed by, by Turkey and Russia and Syria and everyone else. Um, beggars belief, but they have been given millions for this COVID response project, predominantly by the UK Foreign Office, uh, Canada and France, I believe. Um, and so, and there has never been an audit. Nobody has, to my knowledge, entered Syria to actually inspect these premises to actually see if they exist, by the way. We see lots of photographs of white helmets in pristine, clean hazmat uh, suits. Um, supposedly for handling COVID cases. Um, so they're very good at the photo opportunities, but actually producing audits or producing um, further information and verification and analysis of what they are being paid to do, um, that is very thin on the ground. Yeah, okay.
So, well, I mean, this is, this is basically down to a funding drive. If I have to predict anything, I would say the next funding drive from the White Helmets will be for their involvement in, in Ukraine, Ukraine, and I yeah. will be following that through. Okay, thank you, Vanessa. Well, of course, um, uh, what the West would like is to further destabilise Ukraine. Uh, just two very um, short reports here from the BBC, who is desperate, really, to, to get some reporting, but their own narrative have got, have got on top of them because the Russians are clearly winning in Ukraine. They are moving forward. They've taken the key areas and... Uh, they are going to move on into other areas of Ukraine. The Ukrainian forces are unable to stem that tide, even with weapons that they're receiving from UK. But let's just uh, have a look at this little report embedded in the BBC's news article, which we just had on screen. If we pop that again, uh, it says that a recent report by UK think tank Rusi highlighted it as a challenge Ukraine would need to address. What are they talking about? Well, Russian electronic warfare is denying Ukraine a sufficiently fast kill chain to destroy Russia's artillery. Uh, and then it says, um, the Rusi report says the average lifespan of Ukrainian UAV, a drone, has been just seven days. So this is the reality of it. And of course, it's not Russian electronic warfare that's doing the damage. The Russians are shooting these drones down. Um, this is not new. It's been going on right the way through the war so far, and the Ukrainians have lost hundreds of drones, but the BBC didn't want to report that. And then they're trying to make out that Elon Musk's uh, SpaceX Starlink is going to help the situation, when in fact it's not going to make any difference at all, mm. because it is not going to affect the Russians' capability to down drones. Um, if I just bring this one up, this is the reality. The war is being continued by NATO. So here's the BBC bigging up the fact that Ukrainian fighters have been training since the late uh, 1990s at the United States Army base at Fort Leavensworth. And of course, they want the war to continue not only to the last Ukrainian man, because at the moment, Zelensky is drawing women into his so-called million army a million person army, uh, but the BBC is desperate to see the last woman in Ukraine killed in this war. I just find this uh, despicable. Yeah. And maybe that's a good introduction to bring on American free press. Here's the latest front page headline, Perpetual War. And uh, let's bring in Mark Anderson. Mark, this headline um, has hit the spot. I know it's aimed at Americans because it's saying no money for school lunches, but plenty for World War Three. But the same in UK, we don't have money for many um, human um, needs, food or even holes in the roads, but we've got unlimited money for ammunition and munitions for Ukraine. Uh, just tell us a little bit about the front page. Uh, yeah, this is Mike Pompeo, <clears throat> excuse me, kind of early here in Indianapolis uh, for the Red Pill Expo. This is Mike Pompeo, the former Secretary of State under Trump, who attended the Bilderberg meeting in Switzerland in 2019 before they took their alleged COVID break. And uh, Pompeo's always been kind of on again, off again. Is he trustworthy? Is he not? Is he Dr. Jekyll? Is he Mr. Hyde? What is he? And he's a former Kansas congressman who uh, clawed his way up the ranks pretty quickly as Trump came aboard. At any rate, he gave a speech to the Bilderberg Connected Hudson Institute, um, among other think tanks. And 
uh, basically is saying, and I didn't write this story, so I'm not intimately familiar with all of it, but he's basically saying that um, the U.S. needs to form alliances with Europe to stand up to the aggressions of Russia and China. So if his clarion call were to be honored, that would globalize, in effect, what's going on in Ukraine right now. Of course, the art, this article argues at the end that um, that's something we need to avoid at all costs, is globalizing something that's right now regional. So uh, it's unsettling that he gave this speech and said these things. And what's interesting is the article observes that he's taking neoconservative and neoliberal ideas and kind of weaving them together, which would suggest something we kind of already knew, that the neocon and neoliberal views were just a dialectic. They really weren't that much different at all, and they come largely from the same players. So that's basically what this is about, um, to maintain U.S. hegemony, to maintain U.S. Um, directorship, if you will, over the world, and stand up to China. Well, if we really wanted to stand up to China, we would have stopped aiding them long ago through huge trade deficits that the U.S. suffered that gave China a huge financial advantage with which they built their military. So the trade regime helped build the Chinese military, and now they're trying to resist it uh, in terms of the U.S. Uh, strategic outlook. Uh, so Mark, that's that's some comment on that. Yeah, Mark, uh, we should remember that Pompeo just before, he, I mean, literally two days before he left office, uh, uh, brought the United States into uh, PESCO, which is one of the European Defense Union projects. Um, and that mm. that policy then was was taken up by the Biden administration as well. So uh, another demonstration that that, you know, when you get into these sort of internationalist policy areas, they tend to, to move across the boundaries of uh, administrations, no matter which country you're in. Uh, but of course, part of the reason that uh, the United States is suddenly wanting to get involved in that is because uh, the encouragement to for uh, the European countries to start uh, meeting their 2% of GDP obligation for defense under NATO uh, opens up markets, which uh, U.S. defense industry is very, very keen to get involved in. Oh, absolutely. There's always the commercial and um, financial incentives. In fact, I think those are the main incentives. Um, some of this could be just rhetoric to juice up those contracts, to juice up those connections. You know, where does rhetoric end and where does uh, real politic begin? That kind of thing. Yes. But yeah, good points, Mike. Very good points. Okay. And Mark, you're lining up to go to a special event. Let's just bring it up on screen. It's the Indianapolis Red Pill Expo. Uh, we should have a little, uh, well, is it a drone? No, I think it's a blimp coming on screen here saying, join us. <laughs> and um, we've got a little bit of a video clip from one of the um, key people, Edward Griffin. We'll bring that up on Great. screen and then we'll get you to tell us a little bit about what you hope to get out of this event. Let's listen to, to what the key man says about the event. And I think in the, in the few words he uses, I think most of us would absolutely understand what he's saying and why he's saying it. Hi, everyone. I'm Ed Griffin. And it's my great pleasure to be able to invite you all to attend Red Pill Expo number eight, to be held on July 9 and 10 in Indianapolis, Indiana. Now, for those who are not familiar with what the red pill is all about, I think the best way to explain it is to look at the top of this page and read carefully and think about the motto and the slogan beneath it. 
The motto is, because you know something is wrong. And the slogan is, learn how the world really works. And that pretty much summarizes the purpose and the meaning of Red Pill Expo. I think it's increasingly obvious, even to those who don't pay much attention to the news, that our world has gone crazy. I mean, we just go through one crisis after another, and it seems increasingly obvious, to me at least, that much of these, or many of these crises are really engineered. They're not real. Well, they're real, sure, but they're not natural. They're, they're created in crises. And the main purpose, it seems to me, is to create fear among the people. When people are afraid for their lives, for their livelihood, for their children, for their health, all of these things, they don't question too much when their freedoms are taken away from them, supposedly to protect them from these things which they fear. And when you think about it, it's a, it's a horrible realization that at least if you're an American citizen, we have a Bill of Rights, you know, it was part of our Constitution. But did you know that every one of those rights mentioned in our Constitution are gone except one? And that is, of course, the Second Amendment, which is the right to bear arms. And they're working hard to get rid of that one. All of the others are gone, and there's no pushback. Nobody seems to complain. Nobody argues, nobody does anything about it because after all, we have to fight those terrorists, you know. And after all, we have to protect our, ourselves from these viruses, you know. And one thing after another, we've got crime and drugs and all of these things to protect us against. And people are willing to surrender their liberties in the name of protecting themselves from these dread crises and these threats. So there we go, Mark, um, a very um, accurate uh, analysis there from uh, Edward Griffin. Just tell us very quickly what you hope to achieve from this event. Well, I'm covering it for UK Column, and I'm glad to be doing that. Um, there's a, I hope to achieve uh, a reporting a broad cross-section of the topics that fit into what G. Edward Griffin was talking about. He's well known. He goes way back in the early days of the John Birch Society. He wrote the book, The Fearful Master, A Second Look at the United Nations, way back in the early to mid-1960s. So Mr. Griffin has been involved in these things a long time. Of course, he wrote The Creature from Jekyll Island, one of the better books on exposing the Federal Reserve System. So that's a little bit about him. I'm not sure I'd sound the death knell on the First Amendment quite as loudly as he would. That being said, I'll be covering things uh, uh, ranging from Stanford Graham, his topic, language, the ultimate weapon of war. I repeat, language, the ultimate weapon of war, which I think is red, very, very important. Um, I've always often argued that language and the um, manipulation of language is one of the most lethal weapons there is. So that's a really important one. And you don't hear a lot about that. Also, Peter Bregan, MD, COVID-19 and the global predators, we are the prey. Uh, Professor Michael Rechtenwald, Beware, the Great Reset is Communism on Steroids. John Kleisick, Technocratic Globalization of Corporatized Education. Uh, Mr. Griffin himself, Collectivism versus Individualism, which is the totality of politics, as he calls it. Celeste Salam, Why Graphene and Hydrogel are in Almost Everything. 
uh, Juliet Engel, MD, sex trafficking is more extensive than you might think. Dr. Brian Ardis, A-R-D-I-S, you won't believe what is in the so-called vaccines. And that's just some of the many topics. That's Sunday alone. Uh, Saturday, we've got Richard Gage of Architects, Architects and Engineers for 9-11 Truth. Amazing parallels between 9-11 and the COVID pandemic. Now, that's pretty intriguing. I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. Uh, Ilana Freeland, the hidden COVID agenda is transhumanism. And I could name many more. That's a pretty good cross-section. The theory and history of energy medicine. Yeah. Uh, Communist China, Alex Newman of the New American Magazine. Communist China is the blueprint for the new world order. Uh, we'll see what that's about. Uh, David right. Martin, here, the old economic order is ending. Who will create the new economic order? So that that's that's a pretty good cross-section right there. Yeah, yeah, excellent, Mark. And we look forward uh, to your reports. Thank you. Okay, well, I'm going to say, Mark, I, I think I, I agree with uh, Ed, uh, G. Edward Griffin on the uh, de de demolition of the First Amendment, because although uh, you don't have legislation coming through uh, on that issue, of course, you do have uh, uh, government uh, institutions being set up uh, in order to deal with it. But let's uh, look at what the UK is doing, and the policy is not so different on either side of the Atlantic. Uh, coming back to the online safety bill that we were talking about on Wednesday, if you remember, Nadine Dorries uh, over the years and all her predecessors on this uh, going, uh, have all been focusing on the need to protect children from online abuse and harms. This is why we're uh, shutting down freedom of speech on the Internet in order to protect children. Um, and, uh, but one of the points that we've been making on this over the months has been that there's plenty of room for scope creep. Uh, and so on Wednesday, we were talking about the, uh, one of the latest amendments to the online safety bill. And if you didn't see Wednesday's report, please do go and watch it. It led the uh, Wednesday's program. So watch the first 10 or 15 minutes of the UK called News if you haven't seen it from Wednesday. But let's come back to Nadine uh, because, of course, it's not really about child protection at all. It's really about so-called disinformation and the government's concerns about uh, opposition narratives. Um, well, it's not just Nadine Dorries that's pushing through with this. Um, here is the wonderful Pretty Patel, who I believe is one of the candidates for uh, future prime minister. Uh, now, this article in The Telegraph isn't actually the one that she wrote. This is an article in The Telegraph talking about the one that she wrote. Apparently, her article's only in print. It's not online as yet. Uh, just in passing, by the way, one of the things I noticed that The Telegraph and other mainstream uh, media outlets are doing at the moment is that they're providing lots of hyperlinks in the articles that they write, but they're all hyperlinks back to their own material. And they never seem these days to provide any hyperlinks to any source material or primary source material. But anyway, let's put Pretty Patel back on. Uh, the headline here was uh, Pretty Patel to stop tech giants intentionally blinding themselves to child abuse. So the child abuse narrative continues. Uh, let's see what she's saying. Uh, nothing is more important than the safety of our children. Uh, and we need to do everything we can to keep them safe online. So this is from the article that she wrote uh, in The Telegraph. Uh, things like end-to-end -end encryption significantly reduce the ability of, for platforms to detect child sexual abuse. Uh, uh, so now we get to what this is really about. It's not about children at all. It's about the concern which has been expressed by government agencies over a period of time now about end-to-end -end encryption on the various platforms. We intend to amend and strengthen the online safety bill to ensure that the onus is on tech companies to develop or source technology to mitigate the risks regardless of their design choices. If they fail to do so, Ofcom will be able to impose fines of up to 18 million pounds or 10% of companies' global annual turnover, depending on which is higher. 
Uh, and uh, the UK government wholeheartedly supports the responsible use of encryption technology, she lied. Uh, however, the implementation of end-to-end -end encryption in a way that intentionally blinds companies to abhorrent child sexual abuse will have disastrous impact on child safety. Uh, our changes to the online safety bill will help to ensure that tech companies working in, partners working in partnership with governments, uh, child protection organizations and law enforcement provide the best possible protections for children from those they prey on, as, who prey on them while maintaining our privacy, really. Well, just, I think, want to remind everybody of the context of this. We talked about this on Wednesday, but just remember the number of bills that are going through Parliament at the moment or have gone through Parliament in the last couple of years. Online safety bill, national security bill, counter states threats bill, police crime courts and sentencing act, public order bill, elections act, judicial review bill, Covert Human Intelligence Criminal Conduct Act, New British Bill of Rights, Nationality and Borders Bill, and the Schools Bill. And not one of these bills has got anything whatever to do with children or protecting children. This is all about making sure that people cannot communicate, that people's uh, freedom of speech is removed, uh, that many other freedoms are removed, um, and that the government is protected from anybody sharing information in any kind of private way, they want to end end-to-end uh, -end encryption and make sure that there's some mechanism for following what activists are doing. This is nothing to do with child safety. Not, nothing at all. And of course, if you go to the British government with evidence of the abuse of children, it's dragged into the long grass as quickly as possible as case after case demonstrates. I just wanted to add there that when you put up a summary like that, Mike, of all these bills coming through, I think is the re is the reality the fact that we've got judges out there, retired judges who are aware of this, and they do not understand that if this is implemented, they are going to be caught in the trap. Uh, people who think that they've achieved position, they've got their sir title or their, as I say, very senior high court judge. Do they really think that when this stuff is enacted, that they are going to be clear of the the nets? Because I think they're going to be they're going to find that they're grossly mistaken about that. Well, um, Mark, I'm going to, with an eye on the clock, just say to you very quickly on this one, but um, the, the blowing up of the Georgia Guidestones has been reported in UK. This is the American Free Press article on it. Globalist uh, monument bombed in Georgia. Who will be blamed? And if we just show you a, a picture, which we've uh, increased inside, so left, is the guidestones as were. Right is what they look like now. Only part of them were blown down in the explosion, but the rest have been demolished uh, to make the structure safe, i.e. flatten it. I just want to bring in the uh, comment here from your uh, managing editor. It says it's all very mysterious for sure, and we don't have the answers as we go to press, and we're not even sure whether this story will end up of consequence or not. All we know is that we've come to the point where we can't trust our leaders, intelligence agencies, or media to tell us the truth about anything. Take a gander at the Jan 6 hearings for proof of that. Well, he's speaking as an American, but the same applies here in UK. Just very, very quickly, Mark, what's your take on the sad loss of the Georgia Guidestones? Well, I visited the Guidestones in 2010. They're in Elbert County on the South Carolina border in eastern Georgia. And um, they're very imposing, of course, uh, no, no longer. 
Many people are celebrating this. I was on alternatecurrentradio.com last night with Hesher, who also works with uh, uh, Patrick Henningsen of UK Column. And many patriots and constitutionalists and whatnot are celebrating this. They're not condoning any kind of violence or trespassing, but they're celebrating something that literally called for the death of most people on earth. As you know, the first English language inscription, there's 12 languages on there all reading the same um, global outlook. And the first one in English was maintain a population under 500 million in perpetual balance with nature. Now under 500 million, half a billion, could mean 300 million, it could mean 100 million, it could be 1 million. And so this was not just another roadside uh, travelers uh, sightseeing thing. This was something that had a very uh, dystopian and Malthusian message. And so the real criminal act was whoever put the Guidestones there to begin with. I think that's the salient point to make here. Whoever did this and exactly why, I don't know. People are speculating Will it be used to give a black eye to the freedom movement? Was somebody willing to sacrifice this? I have my doubts about that because of the permanence they were given. Uh, tens of thousands of pounds of local granite were, uh, went into building these things. Um, my theories, we, we talked about theories of who built them last night. I, I, I put Stephen Rockefeller on the list, the son of Nelson Rockefeller, because he created the um, uh, uh, Earth Charter and uh, put the Earth Charter in the form of the Ten Commandments tablets inside a, a makeshift lookalike of the Ark of the Covenant and sent it down in 2001 down the Hudson River in New York. And so there's uh, globalists like uh, the, this former East Coast professor, Stephen Rockefeller, who was a Middlebury College dean for a long time. There's people like him. People have suspected Ted Turner and others, possibly the Gates family because uh, uh, Bill Gates' father was in Planned Parenthood and the abortion industry arguably could be connected maybe to that declaration to reduce the population by well over six billion. So um, much could be said, I know time is a little tight, but um, it, it's just one of those things that's being celebrated, although most people don't condone you know, using violence. But we'll see how the mystery unfolds in the days and weeks ahead. So yeah. pretty interesting. Going into the Red Pill Conference, this is gonna be talked about a lot. Okay, thank you for that, Mark. Well, um, as we always say, if you like what we do, join the UK column. And uh, we are extremely grateful for all the help and support we're getting. What we will always say is more people doing a, a little amount, many hands make light work, uh, helps the whole thing. So if you're not on board with us, please join us. Uh, you can also support us by buying something from the shop. And uh, please share our material because this is why we're putting it out. We're very happy for you to share material wherever we like to think that you will acknowledge the UK column when you do that, of course. And uh, also advert for AV12. I'm delighted to say that after a lot of work behind the scenes, the intention is to get the Alternative View uh, series up and running again. AV12 here. Uh, you can go to the website alternativeview.co.uk to see details. Um, UK Column is, being, is helping to make this event happen um, on the 4th of September 2022. Uh, I will also be helping with that and uh, we hope that this will be a, a great kickstart episode to getting the Alternative View. Um, back live again? Yeah, back live again. And also, of course, uh, we wish to make a 
a proper tribute to Ian Crane and all his good work. Um, okay, uh, let's move on to health issues. And I just wanted to mention this uh, release a day or two ago from Caltech in the United States, nanoparticle vaccine uh, project, project uh, sorry, protects against spectrum of COVID-19 causing variants and related viruses. And why is this uh, of interest? Uh, well, they're talking about, uh, of course, taking the COVID-19 vaccines using the spike protein as the active uh, agent. Uh, but in this case, they're taking spike protein material from uh, eight separate so-called viruses uh, and putting them in one uh, vaccine because, let's face it, uh, one spike protein isn't toxic enough. We need to have eight in one shot. Uh, and uh, so there you go. That's on the way. And of course, it's, it's uh, uh, very exciting for these people. I, I can't really say any more than that. I just want to say what could possibly go wrong, well, Mike, as we say many times. So um, let's bring Debbie, uh, Debbie Evans on screen. And Debbie, what's your thought about this? We can just sort of make these wonder vaccinations, which are going to be able to cure us of anything. It could be cancer. It could be something else. But uh, they know no bounds with their medical uh, excellence. They certainly don't. And it seems we give one mRNA injection to cause lots of other problems in order to give multiple mRNA injections. And as we know, and as we'll come on in, in, in this news and in, in further news, mRNA is the way to go. And this is what we're seeing. <laughs> Moderna are just about to set up in the UK. So it's mRNA all the way. Okay. Right. Thank you for that. Well, of course, you, you wanted today to get onto the subject of the NHS. And of course, there's still a lot of passion for the NHS in UK. Uh, people absolutely believe in it. They believe in the people, <coughs> excuse me, who are working in the NHS. Um, but you know only too well, <coughs> excuse me, the future for the NHS is looking, well, not too bright. And um, this is one of the first things that many people are simply not aware of, is that um, as we see trouble and retraction in the NHS system in UK, the NHS is in fact going international. What are they doing here? Well, what are they doing? The NHS, clearly the NHS Confederation, which we've talked about before, huge, huge budget. Um, they're international. So this is a proper business, NHS PLC. Um, but of course, on the right hand side of the screen, you'll see um, that the NHS England is going to be 30 to 40% smaller. So uh this isn't really quite making sense if why aren't we looking after our own people first and clearly as we're about to come along and see uh the nhs is being completely changed i mean there's no easy way of saying this but the nhs as we knew it as we know it is dead it's gone okay it really has right so debbie let's let's take our audience through this um concisely and as quick as quickly as we can. Um, let's bring in the first bit here. Now you've labeled this NHS England to lose out. We've got Amanda Pritchard's um, Twitter, um, what do you call it, header on the left of screen. And uh, the text um, that you've highlighted is, um, and this is, this is ultimately what she is saying, this means we need to reduce the size of NHS England and be rigorous about what we do, only undertaking activity at national and regional level where it is necessary to do. 
This is a corporation mm -hmm. talking, Mike, about we're going to cut back on selling beans because, you know, we can only sell in the regions. And I'll bring this one up and then we'll bring Debbie back on screen. This will mean a significant change for NHS England. We expect by the end of 2023-24, the new single organisation will be, quote, at least 30% and up to 40% smaller, unquote, than the current combined size of NHS England, Health Education England and NHS Digital. We, we will take account of any uh, vacancies we have. This is incredible. So at a time, at a time Brian, when we've got uh, waiting lists longer than we've ever seen, we've got excess mortality because people aren't getting any primary care treatment or any first line treatment because GPs aren't working and the hospitals are overwhelmed and they want to reduce it, Debbie, by 30 to 40 percent. Exactly right, Mike. <laughs> it, it really is. It's that insane. It's that ridiculous. Yes, you're completely right. It, it, it's ridiculous unless, of course, your overwhelming agenda and policy is to remove health care from the population. Mm -hmm. So at a time when we see excess deaths up, at a time when we're seeing people suffering with more and more very unusual uh, diseases and, and uh, medical symptoms, strangely following the vaccination policy, we're now going to remove the NHS and its care from those people. This is, Debbie, I'm just going to stress this point, but this is calculated policy to remove the NHS from people. But we haven't seen this discussed in Parliament, to my knowledge. No, exactly. And, you know, this all started in 1997 with Tony Blair, when he, he put in the NHS plan for uh, investment and the um, NHS plan for reform. And then the NHS long-term plan was announced in 2018 by Theresa May. And that's where we see ourselves now um, coming into the NHS long-term plan. And it's a very big, long document, and I'm not sure that it's one that most people have read, but as we'll come on to see, it means huge changes for every single one of us, every single one of us within the next, well, unrolling now, um, I, I, honestly, I'm, I'm breathless with how it is being destroyed. You know, build back better. We've always said to destroy first. This is destruction of the NHS, quite simply. OK, now I'm going to help you out here because there are a number of points in the, in the long term plan itself. You've picked out uh, what you think the key ones are but I think people are still going to be astonished. So I'm going to just go through this little section as quickly as I can. I'll read out some of it on screen. The rest of it, viewers can freeze the screen and have a look at the information in more detail later. Um, but let's start with what does this mean for each and every one of us? Well, these are some of the bullet points. The United Kingdom is on target to become a global life sciences superpower. We can't run the country, we can't run the schools, we can't run the NHS, but we're going to become a life sciences superpower. This, this borders on madness, Mike. Well, there's no profit in, in individual healthcare. It's all, it's all about uh, uh, the top level stuff. Indeed, right. Experimental novel pharmaceuticals, personalised medicine, including more mRNA injections. Uh, genomic testing, engineering and medicines are here to stay. Personal budgets for many people by 2023-24. So uh, that is an absolute key point where we're seeing a complete change in so-called 
uh, the, the health system. Initiatives to cut down obesity, cessation of smoking, diabetes management, alcohol abuse. And uh, so the note in there, watch for prohibition of tobacco restrictions on alcohol. You're going to be protected from yourself. I'm sure they won't be closing McDonald's, though. And there are too many to, to give you in, in uh, each individual point here, but I'll pick some out and as I say, you can freeze the screen. We're all going to be responsible for our own health. Hospitals are going to change out of all recognition. You won't go to hospital to be cared for. You might get a short slot. More urgent care centres. Home, your own home is now going to be the hospital. Community pharmacists will replace GPs. Uh, there's going to be changes with diagnostic testing. There's going to be changes with nursing. Uh, we're all going to be graded on the electronic frailty index. Does that give you a warm feeling, <laughs> Mike? Um, they're going to do more wearable monitoring equipment. And you're going to have location trackers. So this ties in with the, uh, with the um, snooping state. 100-day mission. So you're going to create vaccines in 100 days with no real testing. That's going to be done when you unleash it on the public. There's going to be critical assessment service a single multidisciplinary team to provide specialist advice and prioritise urgent cases, five priority emergency hospital admission conditions, and those are just stroke, heart attack, major trauma, severe asthma attack and sepsis, a date of discharge to hospital, uh, well, sorry, a discharge, a date of discharge from hospital, that should be agreed before your admission. Excellent. That's good, isn't it? Yeah. That's a crystal ball on what's Definitely. wrong with you. Reduce the need for antibiotics. Um, specialist NHS gambling clinics. Uh -huh. Can you believe this? Yes. Yeah. Birth hubs. And it goes on to getting to children and young people, of course. There will be a 50% inclusion of children and young people in research projects. All boys 12 to 13 will be offered vaccination against HPV-related diseases such as throat cancer, oral and anal cancer. And lastly, children's palliative care budget will double. Now, why would that be? Yes, uh, we believe it's because they know children are going to be harmed by the, the vaccines. Um, it goes on to talk about mental health, but it's talking about a lot of stuff to do with the genomic industry digital GP services and telemedicine. Um, <laughs> Debbie, I, I don't know what to say in one news slot and we'll pull this apart in greater detail over the coming days. The NHS has clearly gone, but the government has just not bothered to tell the population of UK, of UK that it has gone. No, exactly right. And uh, of course, we're looking at the flurry now of leadership uh, candidates and uh, the whole political scene with who's going to govern the country. And meanwhile, behind the scenes, the NHS has has died. And, and just to highlight very, very quickly, um, the points of the NHS long term plan are integrated uh, patient centred care, um, prevention of disease with early diagnosis, technology using your smartphone for pretty much everything, including virtual appointments with your GP, uh, prioritising mental health illness. And if this is all going to uh, end up in giving us, of course, world-class care. So that's what we've got to look forward to. Excellent. Okay, thank you very much.
Okay, uh, let's uh, quickly move on to uh, the Bank of England's recent financial stability report. It was published uh, on Wednesday afternoon, I believe. I just want to highlight a couple of quotes from this. Uh, so here we go. The economic outlook for the UK and globally has deteriorated materially. Prices of essential goods such as food and energy have risen sharply in the UK and globally and the outlook for growth has worsened. We expect households and businesses to become more stretched over the coming months. They will also be more vulnerable to further shocks. Uh, the outlook is subject to considerable uncertainty and there are a number of downside risks that could adversely affect UK financial stability. And they say uh, restricting lending, because of course, you know, a lot of this inflation they have refused to acknowledge has anything to do with the expansion of the money supply. Uh, so we've got to make sure that we don't restrict lending because that would be counterproductive, Brian. So here we go. Restricting lending solely to defend capital ratios or, or capital buffers would be counterproductive and could prevent creditworthy businesses and households from accessing funding. So let's keep expanding that debt bubble as rapidly as we possibly can. That's what we're going to do. But look, uh, no matter what they publish in these kinds of reports, we've got to come back to Mark Carney and remind ourselves what it is that is going that we're witnessing at the moment. We will not get to net zero, he said in 2019. Uh, it requires, uh, sorry, in a niche, it requires a whole economy transition. And we're witnessing that whole economy transition. Uh, and that's been expressed in many uh, documents. Obviously, people focus on things from the World Economic Forum, like the Great Reset document and so on. Uh, but one of the uh, features of uh, the reduction to net zero is to reduce the, the amount of travel that's going on. And, and Debbie over the, and, and I think Mark over the uh, months has been talking about 15 minute cities and so on. Uh, air travel, of course, is one area where people still are uh, contributing hugely to the so called, uh, uh, or at least to, to the delay on getting to net zero and so on. So I just wanted to very briefly mention this. Uh, because it's been in the media for the last number of weeks and we haven't covered it, but the, uh, the, the luggage piles that are going, that are being built in airports uh, are becoming bigger by the day. And this is absolutely destroying people's holidays. It's also destroying people's, uh, or causing people difficulty when they come back home. And so, so we've obviously got the headlines from Heathrow Airport and so on. So here's woman spends three hours waiting through luggage at Heathrow. That's not just a UK thing at all. Uh, Edinburgh Airport, uh, Dublin Airport, Canada, it's the same deal, uh, Paris, France. So uh, suddenly all these airlines, uh, surprisingly, they can't handle baggage anymore. That, that's absolutely right. And, and this and this one in Beirut. So, um, Vanessa, let's uh, bring you back on because I'd like to get uh, your thoughts on this, having had some recent experience of it yourself. Yeah, I have no bag. <laughs> My bag has completely disappeared into the ether. And of course, I mean, you know, my belongings, but of course I'm in Syria, there's no way I can replace any of those belongings, nor can I for the last two weeks trace where that bag is. Um, I was told by a friend of mine, journalist Marwa Osman, who very kindly went to Beirut airport for me to try and figure out what had happened. And she said it was impossible. She wasn't allowed to take photos by the police because the entire arrivals hall was just jam-packed with lost luggage. The, all the European flights that had come in that morning, just before she arrived, came in without luggage, no luggage, zero. Not even just the odd bags lost. The entire luggage contingent was not put on the plane. Um, quite extraordinary scenes. I mean, I thought it was just me, but then when I started to look into it, 
um, and I put a tweet out about it, I realized it's, it's an extraordinary and it has to be an engineered, orchestrated phenomenon. Um, there's no way that, that the airlines, I mean, you know, if it, they really want to resolve it, we can carry the bags to the plane. I mean, it makes no sense to blame it on staff shortages because that can be circumnavigated. But also the more worrying um, phenomenon for me is now, for example, in Dublin, they're starting to bring in, of course, the military um, to to help because of the staff shortages. And I think that was one of the, you know, the main strategies from the beginning anyway. And also potentially to um, introduce AI um, interference with loading of bags so that you can't even get onto the plane unless you've had the vaccination, unless you've had whatever medical um, intervention they decide on at that time, that you will be barcoded even for your bags. And if your bag is not barcoded, for example, you there's no guarantee it's going to arrive. So I'm being very conspiratorial over this, but I'm just trying to understand why this is suddenly happening now. By the way, just as Bill Gates arrives the day in London, the day before Boris Johnson resigns, I'm absolutely sure that's a coincidence. Yes, I'm sure it is. Yeah, I don't <laughs> think you're conspiratorial at all. You're using common sense to say it's not possible for baggage problems to happen across different airlines and different countries and there not be a common theme that's actually creating the problem. So, uh, OK, well, let's switch from ba baggage to bungy. And uh, we'd like to say a very big thank you to some people. We don't know who they are, but they're in Bungay, which is uh, part of Suffolk in UK. And uh, this is just a nice little picture of the local market, a thriving market town in the heart of the Waveney Valley. Why are we interested? Well, we want to say a big thank you to the unknown persons of Bungay, Suffolk, who made the effort to raise questions about the pandemic and mention the UK column. And what apparently happened is that some of these really excellent leaflets have been put under the windscreen wipers of a lot of cars in that particular town. And uh, it's got lots of very factual information about professionals speaking out with concerns on the vaccination programme and the results. Um, there's a UK column listed there, but many other sites as well who are putting out good information. And it's all done in a very clear, measured way. This is the second page. And so we just want to say, well done, whoever this was, because it's a very clear, easy to read leaflet. It's got lots of good information and it's done in a very calm, professional way. Yeah. So we're voting for Bungay Suffolk. Yeah, OK. Uh, and we're going to end then with one uh, final uh, graphic. Now, Bob Moran, of course, uh, Bob's uh, cartoons, he was extremely quick off the mark with the Boris resignation yesterday. And he had this out within about an hour of uh, Boris's speech. Uh, and of course, it's uh, Klaus Schwab standing uh, saying, uh, get me another one uh, as uh, as Boris's head has fall off, fallen off the Boris puppet there. Uh, so I think that was uh, bang on. And it's amazing, Mike, over the years, how many people have uh, absolutely picked up on the puppet puppet line, they see the fact that the politicians are not capable of making these policies on their own. There has to be big people and big organisations behind them pulling their, their strings. Yes. So um, we're not going to get a new prime minister in UK, whoever it is, we're just going to get a new puppet 
and the policies and the agendas will continue until the population says, no, we've had enough. Indeed. Okay. Well, we'll leave it there. We're going to thank all of our guests for joining us. It's been really great to have you. And uh, we'll end by saying once again, a big, big thank you to all of our supporters and a special thanks to people who've been sending us some really nice emails and cards thanking us for our work. It is a very big boost and it makes it all worthwhile. So thank you very much. Extra Excellent. time. Yeah. You've been so good, viewers and listeners today. Uh, if you're members of UK Column, you've been so good. There will be an extra time starting in a few minutes. Join us then. Thank you. Bye-bye.